Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 35, being brought to you today by DraftKings. Basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all of the action now with DraftKings. They're the leader in one-day fantasy sports. And DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code TBPN during sign-up. Now, playing daily fantasy basketball is really simple. You just pick a lineup, standard the salary cap, and then see how your team stacks up against the competition. And you can feel the sweat like never before because every dunk, steal, assist, they all mean so much more with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy lineup. Now, baseball fans, you may have missed out on season-long fantasy, so now's the time to get in on all of the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code TBPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code TBPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Well, this is episode 35, and the Grizzlies are making their final push, their final eight games being played in the last 12 days. A three-game road trip, a four-game homestand, and then a season finale in San Francisco against the Golden State Warriors, and there will probably be playoff or play-in tournament seeding on the line in that game. Well, what we got going in episode 35, I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, first of all, of course, we, we will start with that was the week that was. We'll recap the last two games the Grizzlies have played since our last visit and uh, also a handful of PD's points. And then today, uh, we're going to drop some 901 knowledge. I think those of you who have watched the telecast throughout the years have seen the St. Jude pin on our lapels. You've seen it on the lapels of coaches, uh, including Taylor Jenkins and Rick Carlisle and Dwayne Casey. And uh, there has been a real intersection between St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, their fundraising efforts, and the world of sports, whether it's basketball or football or golf. And with the pandemic, how are things going over at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is really one of the gems of Memphis, and uh, they do such incredible work over there fighting catastrophic childhood diseases. We're going to visit with the president and CEO of ALSAC. ALSAC is the fundraising arm of St. Jude, and they do a remarkable job. And when you consider how many billions of dollars is needed to keep that hospital open on a daily basis, and remember St. Jude is an institution where the child's care is regardless of the family's ability to pay. Families never pay for anything when they go to St. Jude for their child's care. St. Jude takes it as their mission that the only thing a parent should worry about if their child is ill is getting their child well. They shouldn't have to worry about paying for it. And so that's why when children are treated at St. Jude, families do not pay out of pocket. Uh, their housing is taken care of. Their food is taken care of. Their travel is taken care of. And hopefully there is a good outcome uh, for their child who might be suffering some, from some form of pediatric cancer or some other catastrophic disease. We'll talk to Rick Shadiak uh, and find out about some expansion plans on the St. Jude campus and also 
what's the status of fundraising right now in this COVID economy that we're starting to come out from? And uh, just to get a sense of, of how things are over there, because uh, COVID has changed everybody's life in so many ways. And uh, Rick Shadiak has always been a, a great friend of the Grizzlies, great friend and a great Memphian and uh, really grateful that we were able to finally get a chance to talk to him because uh, getting on his schedule is only slightly easier, I think, than getting on the president's schedule. Uh, so that will be uh, 901 Knowledge for today. That's what we have lined up today in the Grizz Weekly Grind. So without further ado, let's go right ahead and start with That Was the Week That Was. On Monday, the Grizzlies were home to take on the New York Knicks on the heels of that disappointing loss at Orlando. And the situation with the Knicks is they're one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. They are are hitting their stride. They, in all likelihood, will have home court advantage in the first round of the NBA playoffs as a four seed, potentially taking on the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, They continue to roll, and they rolled into FedEx form and walked out with a 118-104 victory. This game... Uh, was just dominated by the Knicks. They shoot 51% in the ball game. And Julius Randle, look, Julius Randle for me is, is your most improved player, and I don't, I don't think there's anybody else that would be a serious contender for that because he has been so good. And we all knew that Julius Randle was a good player, but this year he became a great player. Uh, finished with 28 points, six boards, six assists. Grizzlies made him work. Uh, just 9 of 23 from the floor, but he did hit 5 of 8 from 3. The situation with Julius Randle is that he's always been a good player, had a triple-double against the Grizzlies while he was a member of the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, But Randle said, I I want a coach that will hold me responsible. I want a coach who's going to put my feet to the fire. And and certainly Tom Thibodeau has done that, and Randle has responded. Some people talking about him for MVP. Uh, I think you could make the case uh, within the New York Knicks, he most certainly is their MVP, league-wide MVP, I'm still leaning Nikola Jokic, uh, to be honest, if I had a vote, which I do not. Uh, but Julius Randle was was fantastic. And again, Derrick Rose, ha- because of injury, hasn't played a whole lot of games in FedEx form since he left the University of Memphis. But he comes in, and uh, he must love playing in the building. 25 points for Derrick Rose in 27 minutes, 11 of 15 from the floor, and he was simply sensational. Derrick Rose, another instance of a guy who figured out that if he wanted to stay in the league, that he was going to have to modify his game a little bit. And he happily comes off the bench, and he has been a great veteran leader for this Knicks team. So he has come in there. He's been great. Taj Gibson getting the start uh, because Nerlens Noel had sprained his ankle the night before in Houston. And so New York, despite the fact that they played the night before in Houston, although they did blow out the Rockets, uh, they did not appear to have any ill effects from playing the night before. Um Grizzlies, you shoot 40%. It's really a struggle. And the Grizzlies, despite the fact that Noel, who is one of the premier shot blockers in our league, was not playing, Grizzlies just 17 of 40 in the paint for 34 paint points. This is a Grizzlies team that leads the league about 55, 56 paint points per game. They walked out with just 34. Frustration boiling over. Taylor Jenkins ejected. And Dylan Brooks hit with a tech. John Morant also ejected five technicals in 18 seconds. I've seen a lot in my years in the NBA. It's the first time I've seen five technicals issued by one referee against one team in 18 seconds. Uh, Grizzlies were just clearly frustrated over the lack of calls for John Morant, who got to the free throw line four times. And uh, it just boiled over, and uh, it was not a good end to the game because the Grizzlies actually had had done a great job rallying back, but... Um, 
the technical fouls, and uh, the Knicks were able to salt it away, and they win it 118-104. to 104. The Grizzlies then had lost two in a row in four of five to fall to 32 and 32. So now the question becomes, you're going to go out on the road. Uh, you've got three against sub-500 teams. How are you going to handle the business? Uh, well, on Wednesday, the Grizzlies go to Minnesota going for the season sweep of the Timberwolves. Uh, this was a fantastic basketball game to watch. It was, as Taylor Jenkins said afterwards, a high-level basketball game, uh, particularly if you loved offense. The Grizzlies shot 54%, 48% from three. And Minnesota shot 52%. Uh, Grizzlies led by as many as 13. Timberwolves led by as many as five. Um, this was, to use the words of my late great broadcast partner in Portland, Steve Snapper Jones, this was a firefight. Uh, John Morant with 37 and 10 assists. And Anthony Edwards, this is a kid that the first time we laid eyes on him, we weren't sure uh, what had happened with him because he was the number one overall pick. And there are people... They may not admit it now uh, in Minnesota, the first handful of games this season, they were wondering if Anthony Edwards wasn't going to be a bust. Uh, he is anything but. Tied his career high with 42 points, shot just an amazing 8 of 9 from 3, and the one that he missed was against, I believe, the end of the third quarter clock and really was more of a desperation shot than anything else. When he got a decent look, he was perfect from beyond the long line. 42 for him, 22 for D'Angelo Russell with 14 assists. Carl Anthony Towns, plagued by fouls, had 22. Big story in this one was the Grizzlies bench. They get 22 from Desmond Bain. Grayson Allen started the game as per usual, but suffered an abdominal strain about six minutes in. Desmond Bain filled in brilliantly. Des tying his career high. So back-to-back -back career highs. That's one thing I forgot to mention about the Knicks game. Desmond Bain went off for a career high 22. Backed it up with another 22-point game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Grizzlies win it 139-135. to Not many times in this league you can give up 135 in regulation and win the game, but the Grizzlies do it. And they do it because John Morant, I, I think, really embraced who he needs to be with his basketball team. That's not to say that he hasn't previously, but I think understanding the gravity of the situation. Dylan Brooks has foul troubles. He ends up fouling out of the ballgame with 16 points. Jonas Valanciunas fouls out in under 20 minutes, nine points and just five rebounds for him, uh, and Morant took it upon himself, and it was consistent throughout the game. It wasn't one monster quarter. There were several big quarters, but he was consistent throughout the entire night, and after telling the crew on, on TNT that he felt he was a top-five point guard in the NBA, he certainly walked the walk uh, after identifying himself as one of the top five in the NBA. And if he continues to play like this, then I think you can uh, you can certainly say that. But a uh, satisfying win for the Grizzlies, 139-135. They survived just a, a, a tremendous offensive game from the Minnesota Timberwolves, who had come into the game having won four of their last five. So the Grizzlies now 33-32 and with that win. They leapfrogged the idle Golden State Warriors into eighth in the Western Conference. San Antonio getting blown out at Utah, so the Grizzlies picked up a game on them. But the Grizzlies now with two more on this road trip as they go back-to-back to the Detroit Pistons on Thursday night. They'll have Friday off, and then Saturday they go down to Tampa to take on the Toronto Raptors, a team that had already beaten the Grizzlies this year. And that is, that was, the week that was. Before we get to Petey's points, hope you are enjoying 
the Grizz Weekly Grind here on the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pratica, TV voice of the Grizzlies and your host for the program. Uh, If you are uh, listening to the program, hope that you subscribe. Please rate and review and let us know if there's anything uh, that you'd like to hear on the program. And we will... uh, we will evaluate and we will adapt accordingly. But uh, like I said, always helpful to us if you give us some feedback with this program to uh, see if we're going in the right direction or not. So subscribe, rate, review. And now on to Petey's points. First, Petey's point is essentially this. This this team has been consistently inconsistent. And I think sometimes when this team plays well, we believe that this is this team is is going to be you know five six seven eight games above five hundred and and battling for a home court slot in the Western Conference playoffs. When this season started, I think even the most optimistic among us thought that this would be a team that would be probably a seven or an eight seed, definitely in the play-in tournament. Um, I don't think anybody felt that the Grizzlies were not going to be involved in the play-in tournament. It would just be a matter of where they would be seated. And so when you look at this team with what they've had to deal with this year, with not having Jaron Jackson for most of the year, uh, not having Justice Winslow for most of the year, um, and, and then the compressed schedule, particularly in the second half. I mean, remember, let's remember the Grizzlies lost six games. Uh, or six games to postponement in the first half of the season. Only one of those was made up in the first half. So five games that should have been played in the first half of the season were relocated to the second half of the season, necessitating playing 40 games in 68 days, which is the heaviest load, uh, or no team has played a heavier load in the second half of the season. So when, when you blend all that together and understanding that this is one of the youngest teams in the NBA, it's understandable that they're consistently inconsistent and sometimes maddeningly so. They will beat teams they you would think they wouldn't beat and they will lose to teams that you think they wouldn't lose to. That is part and parcel of being a young team. And let's also remember, Taylor Jenkins, I think, has done a good job with this basketball club, but it's just his second year as a head coach. And so, and trying to navigate these very unusual circumstances. I mean, the last two years that Taylor Jenkins has dealt with have been the two most unusual seasons in NBA history, all right, with last year being suspended and then having to complete the season in a bubble and having a play-in tournament for the first time. And then now you have uh, another COVID-ravaged season where your schedule gets all you know thrown into a uh, in, in, into into chaos, and you're you're trying to make this work. And oh, by the way, your second best player is out for injury for almost the entire season. There's clearly there's a lot of stuff going on here. Second PD's point is when is Jaron going to start? This is something that the coaching staff has talked about. Does Jaron start at all? Does he come off the bench the entire season? There's part of me that thinks that he should be in the starting lineup. If you intend for this team to be in the playoffs, and if you are trying to maximize everything, do you put him in the starting lineup with Jonas Valanciunas? In some ways, it's, it, it seems like a slam dunk that, that you would put him in the starting lineup. He, he's probably your second best player. Maybe not perhaps at the moment because he's coming back from injury and and trying to get himself back into the way Jaron Jackson can play. Do you put him in the starting lineup? And if you put him in the starting lineup, what do you do with Kyle Anderson, who has been a good soldier, has been extremely productive, and is having a career year? So does he come off the bench? And then how does that mess up your bench rotation? So like I said, it's easy on the surface to say, yeah, Jaron should start. Okay, fine. 
well, then what happens to Kyle Anderson? What happens to your bench rotation? And and somebody's going to lose minutes. And pretty much everybody has performed and has contributed when their name has been called. So how do you how do you handle this? And I think it's an ongoing conversation. My personal thought is, if Jaron is your second best player, and you are trying to get the best possible seed for the play-in tournament, uh, he needs to play as much as his minutes will allow him. And I think if if you think that he is the future of this ball club along with John Moran, I think he and John need to play together. They are they are the two pillars of this franchise, and this, the more you can get them to play together, I think is is going to be important. Um, and and maybe you try Jaron in the starting lineup to see how that goes. You you only have seven games left. Uh, start with starting with tonight's game against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, you know there, there's no time like the present. Now he did not play in the game against Minnesota uh, because he was being held out because it was a back-to-back. So will he start against the Detroit Pistons? Don't know. I probably don't think so. Uh, and, and, and maybe the Grizzlies are just going to decide, look, we're just going to bring him off the bench, and he'll be a vital second unit piece for this year, and we'll re-rack next year and, and figure it out then. I, I don't know. Uh, and there are arguments to be made on both sides of it. But to me, the biggest concern is that if you put Jaron in now, you are disrupting you know, Kyle Anderson and changing his minutes where he has been fantastic. Uh, final PD's point before we get to some 901 knowledge with Rick, Rick Shagidiak of uh, Alsac St. Jude. The big concern I have with this basketball team right now is their defense. Defense was great against the Orlando Magic, uh, and, and the Magic not a noted offensive uh, juggernaut. But in the last six games, and that includes the game in which the Grizzlies held Orlando to 75 points, in the last six, they are allowing an average of 115 and 112 points in every game except that Orlando game that they won. And everybody except Orlando in that game has shot 44% or better from the floor. To give you some context in the last six, Grizzlies' defensive rating is 113.3 points allowed per 100 possessions. Their number for the season is 110.6. So in the last six games, their defense has really gotten sideways. Teams in the last six shooting 46%, 40% from three. Grizzlies have lost four of those six games, and the opponents are plus six and a half points per game. Um, Grizzlies are going to have to get their defensive house in order. Uh, they were great offensively against Minnesota, and they needed to be great offensively against Minnesota because right now defense is not getting clean stops. They do get turnovers, and the Grizzlies will score off those turnovers. Grizzlies will score off their second chance points. Grizzlies will score in transition opportunities. But in in half-court situations, defensive situations, the Grizzlies are not handling their business. And to me, that is the most alarming thing as you get down to the end of the season. You're going to need to be able to defend. Your defense is going to be a little bit more reliable than your jump shots, particularly, particularly, when you're dealing with the extremely condensed schedule that the Grizzlies are going to have coming down the stretch because the legs just aren't going to be there. And, and I get a sense, and, and you see it from time to time, that this team, I think, is mentally fatigued. I think physically they're fatigued. I think you saw that in the New York game where they became really frustrated with the officiating, and I think that uh, the mental and physical fatigue is starting to catch up with the Grizzlies, and uh, they're just trying to maximize their energy, their effort, keep their spirits high. But it's not going to be easy. And I think right now it's showing up on the defensive end. And that does it for today's edition of PD's Points. 
All right, I've rambled on long enough. Uh, if there was one bold thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? If that answer is yes, here's your chance. Because the Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement and become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud support of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing their framing consultations by appointment at 901-685-7796. That's Garner Framing Company, 901-685-7796. Tell my friend Chris Garner that you heard about their outstanding framing company on the Grizz Weekly Grind. All right. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We've all been big boosters of it on the Grizzlies telecast. Grizzlies players have had a long tradition of being involved at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And it all started when the Grizzlies moved here 20 years ago. Michael Heisley, when he moved the team from Vancouver, said that uh, this basketball team will not just be a basketball team. They will be a force for good in the local Memphis community. And one of the charities, one of the efforts that they wanted to undertake most was working with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And one of our great partners in Memphis and just one of my all-time favorite people to be around and to talk with is Rick Shadiak. He is the president and CEO of ALSAC, which is the fundraising arm of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And with him, we are going to drop some 901 knowledge. Rick, COVID has turned everybody's life upside down and inside out. What impact has it had on ALSAC and on the hospital operations at St. Jude? Well, Pete, you know, as, as I reflect back on it now, you know, we're, we're probably 14 months or so into all this. and So much has changed, but so much has actually stayed the same. So, you know, our mission hasn't changed at all. We're still about finding cures and saving, saving children's lives and kids continue to get cancer but it's completely disrupted our hospital operations, right? So, you know, we've basically had to close the campus and we're in lockdown. Um, and, and, you know, so, so we're all getting tested regularly. And thankfully now, um, as you start to think about how this played out, we've got vaccines and many of us on campus are, are vaccinated. But Pete, what we knew from the very beginning was that we needed to take all those steps to safeguard our kids because our kids are immunocompromised, right? So, you know, I applaud what happened at the hospital where they took extraordinary steps to ensure the safety of our patients and, and their families. And, and, you know, my workforce complied as well. And many of them went home and we worked primarily from home. Even today, as I'm talking to you, 14 months in, we've only got about 16 to 18% of our workforce back in the ALSAC building. St. Jude is back, um, but you know, our, our campus is still closed. And I miss seeing you and I miss seeing my Memphis Grizzlies who would come here and spend time with our kids. And I miss all the NBA teams passing through because they always made it a point to stop in and say hi to the kids at St. Jude to see how they could help. Absolutely. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit, Rick. Um, what about philanthropy? Because the economy maybe now is starting to come back. How did philanthropy stack up when we were in the midst of, of the COVID crisis? Well, look, I think it's, I think it's COVID has affected philanthropy um, in different ways, depending upon your cause, right? So there's been a spike in giving uh, to, to hunger charities. And thank God that's been the case, you know, homeless shelters and, and feeding America, uh, amazing organizations like that, the union mission here in Memphis and feeding America here in Memphis, for instance, 
Um, and then social justice rightly has been incredibly well supported and, and I'm excited about that. But not all charities have fared well. Um, and, you know, we're, we're for, and if you were involved in COVID or COVID research and things like that, um, you know, obviously a lot of money was, especially early on, directed to support those causes and rightly. Initially, Pete, we were concerned. Uh, we, we, we thought that our donations here would precipitously drop and we planned accordingly. Um, and the, we, didn't make, we didn't raise as much money as we projected last fiscal year, um, but I'm really proud to tell you we made budget um, despite COVID. And this year we're off to real, we're having a really, really good this year this year. And I am so thankful and so grateful uh, for the support of our donors and the support of people like you, Pete uh, and Brevin and, 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 and Coach who proudly wear our brand on television all the time. And we get this national exposure because of people like you that care so deeply about this mission. And for those who aren't aware, the, the daily budget at St. Jude is well north of $2 million a day just to keep the doors open. And do I have that figure right? You're, you're way low, my friend. You're, you're way low. <laughs> the, operating budget, the, operating budget now is, the operating budget is over a billion dollars a year plus capital. So uh, you put you put several hundred million more on top of that. And in the new plan, Pete, in the new plan, when you put operating and capital together, it'll go over two billion dollars a year just to give you a sense. And I seem to remember when the daily uh, daily budget was like a million dollars a day to keep the door open. So every everything, everything is going up. And I know that you have some expansion plans for the St. Jude campus. What can you tell us about those plans going forward? Yeah, th thanks to the generosity of our donors and incredible vision by Dr. Downing and our board, uh, you know, we're really proud that we're going to be making an $11.5 billion investment uh, in, in, in our mission. Uh, this is an expansion of things that we're already doing, but we're also, Pete, going to concentrate on some things that we haven't, you know, that, that we think need more focus, like especially hard to cure cancers. You know, wh why are we able to have survival rates of up to 94%, from 4% to 94% for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, but why would infant ALL be so, so low? Or with our brain tumor program, why are we able to cure some brain tumors, but not all brain tumors? Some are a death sentence. We've got to figure this out, right? And then we decided that we also wanted to focus on some other areas. So, you know, we're now into neurological diseases, and we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of research associated with neurological diseases. And then we already have had a, a really significant infectious disease department here. But you know, the pandemic has shown us you can never do enough work in infectious diseases. So we are going to materially ramp up. Our, our, our investments in, in infectious disease. Uh, and, and we're excited about, about that as well. And then Pete, we got a lot to build here on campus. We're gonna build a new outpatient care center and doctor's office. We're getting ready to open up a $412 million research uh, facility. I mean, just incredible facility that they're now installing the actual equipment in the labs in that they'll be occupying in another month or so. Uh, so you got that. We've got a new patient housing facility, the Domino's Village, 141 two and three bedroom apartments. And I can go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, you know, we talk about COVID, Rick, and I think a tip of the cap to St. Jude for being involved in the Johnson & Johnson clinical trial and, and making sure that that vaccine would be ready for use. We're talking with Rick Shadiak, the president and CEO of ALSAC St. Jude. Let's talk about sports marketing now. And we're celebrating 20 years of the Grizzlies being in Memphis. And I know you were not in this current position when the Grizzlies moved to, to Memphis, but I know that you were clearly involved with the hospital at that time uh, when Mike Heisley 
brought the team to Memphis. And one of his bedrock principles was the Grizzlies are going to be good neighbors and they're going to be an engine for good in the Memphis area. What are your recollections of, of meetings with Michael Heisley and when the Grizzlies came and, and their impact on St. Jude once they relocated from Vancouver? Hey, Pete, you know, I, I've got so many fond memories of, of, of Mr. Heisley. Um, I, I, I will always remember a story that he's told me and he told many of the multi-billionaires that, that own all these other teams. I was at a, a conference with the, with the owners of, of sports franchises and Mr. Heisley told this story about why he chose to support St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And you may remember Mr. Heisley was a deeply religious man. Um, and I know that he practiced his faith on a regular basis. And, and he may even have gone to church. I don't know, but it may have even been daily, but I know it was regularly. And he said that he considered himself a deeply, deeply spiritual man and, 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 and religious. But he said that he never felt closer to God than when he was on the St. Jude campus. I'll never forget him telling me that story and telling other sports owners, billionaires, that story. He felt closer to God here. You just you knew that God was working miracles here on a daily basis. And when I think about his generosity, I think about his daughter uh, who, who stayed engaged with us. Um, and and I, I just remember him coming and, and, and just being such a tremendous supporter and advocate for us. And I will always remember the day that, that the Grizzlies put their name on, on our short-term housing facility here on our campus. It was a, it was a beautiful, uh, a beautiful partnership. So I've got nothing but fond memories of Mr. Heisley and we're incredibly grateful for the entire Grizzlies organization and their support of St. Jude. So many things that ALSAC is involved in. I know that you have worked with celebrities from stage and screen and with professional athletes. What has been the biggest impact that the work of professional athletes in concert with ALSAC St. Jude, what's been the biggest impact specifically in the athletic arena to advancing the cause? You know, I think the fact that, that so many NBA players, but in particular certain Memphis Grizzlies decide to spend time on our campus with our kids uh, and develop relationships with, with, with some of our patients. You know, I think sometimes those of you that are very close to the game don't realize how much we look up to some of our sports figures and sports idols and, and announcers and things like that. These kids are regular kids, right? So they watch your games, they watch your broadcasts and, and they see their heroes on a night in and night out basis. And then when they can sit down and have a cup of tea at a two foot high table with Mark Gasol, or when Mike Conley comes and sits on your bedside, okay, and, and just talks to you like a regular person. I mean, those are experiences that these kids will never forget. Chandler Parsons walking the halls uh, and, or, or even the current, relatively current iteration of the Memphis Grizzlies. When that team came over and did a team visit and, 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 and members of, of you know, our, our, our patient families got to spend time with them. It means the world. And then you expand that out to the greater NBA family. And you really think about those incredible superstars that come and visit us uh, for, for games. And then they come and visit our campus. And when they get to see James Harden and get to play games with James Harden or with Kevin Durant, I mean, these, this is like a dream come true, right? Or to get their shoes. You know, you know, these guys give us shoes. They give us jerseys. And that picks these kids up, Pete. They, they, they then feel that, that 
hey, man, their heroes are supporting them and their heroes pick them up and it helps them on their journey in their battle against cancer. Let's talk about golf. Uh, last year, obviously, the FedEx St. Jude Invitational, fans not allowed because of COVID. It's been a transition. There were times when this golf tournament was in trouble, did not have a title sponsor. Uh, it, it's come back in a huge way now as a World Golf Championship event. What is the economic impact to the bottom line of Alsac St. Jude when you are able to play a World Golf Championship event and have fans in the stands? Yeah, so, you know, look, we're – through the course of the history of the tournament, we've raised over $50 million. $50 million has been generated to support our mission. But Pete, that does not tell the whole story, right? So especially with the World Golf Championship, this puts us on the global stage. So this allows us to reach the entire world and to let the world know about the resource that is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. It lets the world know about the research that's conducted there, here. It lets the world know that one of the initiatives that we're working on right now is a partnership with the World Health Organization, where we seek to raise the overall childhood cancer survival rates around the globe from 20%. That's right, four and five kids in low and low and middle income countries die, Pete, the opposite of what it is in the United States. We seek to raise that to 60% Pete by 2030, this decade. So we tell that story. We let the world know that we have a partially solvable problem here in the United States. Still not good enough. One in five are still going to die here in the United States, but we can do so much better around the world. That's the platform that is the World Golf Championship. That's the platform that FedEx and the PGA Tour provide to ALSAC and the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. It is always a great scene around uh, the 12th hole, the, par, the island par three, uh, you know, kids acting as caddies and then as pin flag holders on 18 uh, at the end of the tournament. It, it's absolutely amazing. What a, what's your personal sense of fulfillment to be in your position? Because clearly St. Jude is a gem, not only in Memphis, but a gem in the world. It is known worldwide. The logo is known worldwide. The great work is known worldwide and the research is shared worldwide. Give me a sense of your personal satisfaction to be involved in this very vital mission. Well, first of all, I feel blessed, fortunate, and grateful. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Coming to work here having the opportunity to work with some incredible colleagues, both here at ALSAC and St. Jude, um, is deeply humbling, and it's been the best experience of my entire life. But Pete, even after being here for 12 years now, it'll be 12 years in July, believe it or not, um, I, I couldn't be more energized because despite all the progress that we made, I still know about kids that die. And they die every single year, unfortunately. You know, we're, we save four and five now. Um, and, and, but that's not good enough. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget what that mom said to me. And that mom works here now. Four and five is great. But if you're the mother or the father of the one, the one in five, that one really matters. And that's why, Pete, I, I don't think you've been to my office, but I have on my wall right over my shoulder pictures of four kids that are no longer with us. And every day when I walk in here in the morning, I look at those four portraits, those four beautiful photographs of kids that I knew personally that I will never forget for my entire life. And it's a reminder that, hey, Rick Shadiak, you got to bring your A game today, okay, because there's still a lot more work to be done, 
These are real kids that they deserve to grow up to be an announcer like Pete Pranica or to be a CEO like me or to be like John Morant. Okay. Who we all want to be like John Morant, right? <laughs> and I, I've always felt in all the times that I've had interactions with you or the great folks at LSAC, many of whom I consider very, very close friends, that the greatest day for St. Jude will be the day that we can put the, the key in the lock and lock the doors forever. We're not there yet, but uh, through your efforts and the efforts of so many people, not only in on the Memphis campus, but literally around the world. Hopefully someday we can end childhood cancer and, and these catastrophic diseases. That's my hope too, Pete. It's my hope too. Rick, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate your work. You are a great Memphian and a great human being and uh, proud to call you a friend and a colleague. You bet you are my friend. Listen, man, I appreciate you. There is no bigger ambassador for our cause than Pete Pranica. God bless you, Pete, and go Grizzlies. Good deal, Rick. Thank you so much. I do appreciate it. And hopefully sometime soon we'll actually get to get to meet face to face again. I'll probably see you at the golf tournament. I'll, I'll look forward to it. Okay, man. All right. Take, take care. care, Rick. Good to God see bless. Bye-bye. Really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, Rick Shadiak is, is one of the best and most persuasive public speakers I think I've ever heard. And one of the things that we really miss is the opportunity to go to the hospital for NBA teams to go and visit, which they all do whenever they have a day that they can get over to the hospital. They will go over there. They'll land at Memphis International Airport, and sometimes they'll take the bus right to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital to uh, to visit the kids. And I remember one famous example, Monty Williams went there and heard about donating blood, and he broke away from the group, and he snuck over to the blood donor center, and he gave blood platelets, uh, I think, on his first visit to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So you'll, you'll see Monty wear the pin. You'll see Dwayne Casey of the Pistons wear the pin. Uh, you'll see Rick Carlisle, who's also been a big advocate of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital as well. And uh, I know I've arranged visits for Brian Anderson of TNT and Mike Breen of ESPN. Uh, you know, Doris Burke has been over there as well. They're just big fans of St. Jude, and they have a great tie to the NBA. And uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, we haven't been able to be as engaged as, as we would like to be on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And of course, the Grizzlies tip-off luncheon, which we couldn't have this year because of COVID, uh, benefits St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So our thanks to Rick for stopping by, making time in his busy schedule to chat with us and drop some 901 knowledge. That does it for this edition. This is episode 35 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. It's been brought to you today by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist young student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal, to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be on the court, in the classroom, and in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports programs. Like I said, that does it for this edition. This is episode 35. We're up to 35 episodes already of the Grizz Weekly Grind here on the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pratica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 